0: You're listening to the Fertility Academy podcast, episode 10. Today, I'm talking with Tanya Smith, a colleague in the world of fertility acupuncture and Chinese medicine. We dive deep into so much, including her own fertility journey and IVF outcomes as a person in a same-sex relationship. So stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss this one. Welcome to Fertility Academy, a podcast where we provide you with information and tools to help you optimize your fertility to grow your family no matter where you are in your fertility journey. We offer interesting, creative, and evidence-based information and give you practical tools to help you get closer to your goal of building a family. I'm your host, Michelle Kapler. I'm a fertility-focused acupuncturist and Chinese medicine practitioner, board-certified fertility specialist, and fertility coach with over 10 years of experience helping my patients build their families. I'm so glad you're here with us. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome. I'm so glad you're here with us today on Fertility Academy. Today, I'm talking with Tanya Smith, a fellow TCM practitioner and ABORM fellow. I invited her on the podcast because she's someone who I've really looked up to over the years. I met her when I did a summer student internship in her clinic over 10 years ago, and she's been a mentor, colleague, and friend ever since. I've even seen her for treatments a couple times over the years. Today, we talk a lot about fertility, grief, and movement through the process. We discuss expectations and body image, traditional Chinese medicine versus conventional medical ways of looking at the body and the type of clinical experience you might have in either of these models, we talk about her own fertility journey as part of a same-sex couple and the ebbs and flows of that experience. And she shares a whole lot of wisdom and advice. Before I play the conversation, I want to give you a little more info about Tanya by reading her professional bio. Since 2004, Tanya has focused her work on reproductive health, including menstrual health, men's and women's fertility, healthy pregnancy, and supporting new families postpartum. Having endured her own fertility struggles solidified Tanya's resolve to pursue excellence in understanding fertility care. She became a fellow of the American Board of Oriental Reproductive Medicine to bring together her knowledge of Chinese medicine with a deeper understanding of Western medical fertility care and procedures. This has allowed her to integrate her care with fertility treatment in a productive way. It is one of her greatest joys to see a fertility patient holding their new baby in their arms, having supported them through that journey. So without further delay, here's my interview with Tanya. All right, Tanya, thank you so much for being with us here today on the podcast. We're so happy to have you. Yeah, I'm really
1: grateful that you asked and that uh, you find that I may have something useful to share. So we will see, see what comes of our hour today.
0: Well, Tanya, I don't know if I've told you this before. But you have been one of my greatest inspirations, professionally speaking and personally speaking. I remember what over 10 years ago, um, I worked for you as a, a summer student doing reception for your receptionist who went on vacation back in the day when you were the clinic owner at Life Cycles Wellness in downtown Toronto. And I think I worked for you for six to eight weeks or something like that. But oh my goodness, I learned so much from you during that time period as your employee about not only just how to run a practice and how to relate to people and all the ins and outs of, you know, clinic ownership um, because I got to see a lot of that as the receptionist, but also how you talk to your patients and how you relate to them and more so how things were for you after you come out of the treatment room or after an intake or you know, things like that. And, you know, we discussed cases together and you taught me so much and I'm so grateful for that. And I just, uh, you just have such a special place in my heart. So thank you for being here again.
1: Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. I remember that. remember that place and those days very fondly it was, uh, it was a big adventure for sure. I feel like it was so long ago and I've changed so much as a practitioner, you know, all the things that have happened in the interim, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a pretty neat place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And such a great team. Everybody that worked with you there was so incredible. And it was just such an enriching and wonderful experience for me as a student to be able to do that.
1: Yeah, that's really great.
0: So uh, let's jump into our conversation today. I already told our audience a little bit about you in the introduction, but I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself and... How you got into what you're doing and what you're doing these days, because I know it's a little bit different than what you were previously doing.
1: Yes. Um, so I um, got into Chinese medicine kind of as a I was searching for something in particular, and that's what I found. So I started out my, ed- my post-secondary education as a Bachelor of Science, because I didn't really know what I wanted to do but I really loved biology and learning how bodies work and how systems work that was all very fascinating to me so I thought okay science maybe medicine we'll see and after my first year in university I just was like this is not where I want to be these are not these are not my people I don't feel you know alive here I feel like it's just kind of more of the academic life and so I didn't want to go back for my second year um so in that year I kind of told my mom like I don't think I'm gonna go back she's like okay well what are you going to do and she was um looking around at different offerings in the city and she found one called holistic health practitioner and there was an info night so she said why don't you go check it out this might be a more up your alley so I did and uh, there was a young woman who spoke there who um I was like oh I want to be just like you when I grow up like just what she was doing what she was interested in and uh I ended up meeting her about 15 years later actually at a party and it's like you have no idea how much you influenced my life so that was a two-year program and I was introduced to Chinese medicine through that program and uh that just really lit a fire for me like it's just the way that TCM's sees the world and sees bodies and sees how everything works together made so much more sense to me sort of on a really visceral level like I just it just fit and it matched and I was like this is what I want to do so um, I finished that program and a year later was in a TCM program in Victoria and so I had moved I was still very young I was in my 20s I moved out to the west coast the first time living away from home and the West coast is a very particular vibe. And uh, so it was a really kind of beautiful supportive environment for me to kind of explore and take on these ideas that I was learning in Chinese medicine and go to the forest and see how all the elements work together. And um, just kind of really go deeply into it. We learned Qigong, we learned Tai Chi. And so having the physical experiences and I had my first acupuncture treatment in the second year of the program, I think. I hadn't had acupuncture before I went. It was more of like the theory of the man really uh, got me going. So uh, finished that program and then life took it, you know, sort of had its way with me. And, and I ended up in Toronto with a pretty big dream to um, work in women's health. I had done some work in pregnancy at that time, I was a doula and I loved sort of the whole, um, how the beautiful ways and supportive ways that we can intervene with TCM for people who are pregnant and uh, wanted to do more of that. And so the fertility work kind of started as a sort of, um, people said, well, if you can help with pregnancy, maybe you can help me get pregnant. And so it it just kind of evolved naturally uh, from that. But that's really yeah, that's when I came to Toronto. I had a a real real vision for what I wanted to create here,
0: yeah, i uh, I, I think it's interesting because my story was uh, similar in the way that I didn't have an acupuncture treatment until I started acupuncture school either. Isn't that strange how that works? it was it was similar for me that I read a lot about the philosophy behind it, and I was so inspired by how Chinese medicine just looks so differently and more holistically at the body than from what I was used to both medically and culturally. You know, growing up in Canada, um, we kind of tend to pathologize a lot of the things that happen to us as women. You know, a lot of physiological processes that are actually normal and part of life are heavily medicalized and heavily, again, pathologized uh, here in our culture. And so it was so interesting to read another perspective on, no, this is just, you know, part of life and part of the flow and part of the evolution. And that was just so fascinating to me. And I was like, I need to learn more about this. This is amazing. <laughs> but I never got acupuncture until, yeah, I think it was my second semester in school. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. I'm actually pretty afraid of needles. Like when I was going through fertility treatment, the- blood draws were the most stressful part for me, like of anything, having to go to the clinic and get blood draws was the worst. So it's, uh, yeah, like the, the whole needle aspect. I was like, yeah, I'm not really, I love what this medicine can do, but I, I'm having a disconnect a little bit with uh, the needles. But the ones I experienced is so different than um, the other kinds of, you know, blood draws or injections I'd had before. It's just so, so different.
0: So different. And I think that the context uh, is really Mm. different as well. Being in a clinic where um, we're aiming to balance somebody and make them more whole and make them um, healthier every time they come in is really different than let's go inside you and look around and see what's wrong with you. It's just a very different vibe.
1: (laughs) Yes, that's true. It does make a difference.
0: So you you touched briefly on your own fertility experience. And so I'm I'm curious to ask you, as somebody who really had a lot of knowledge about how fertility worked, both from a Chinese medicine perspective and also from a conventional medical perspective, because you are a fellow of the ABORN, which is the American Board of Oriental Reproductive Medicine, so you have a, a solid understanding of both. What was it like for you to go through fertility treatments yourself with that extra layer of knowledge? Did you find that it was helpful? Did you find that it was maybe not so helpful? What was it like for you?
1: (laughs) I think a bit of both. Yeah. I mean, fertility journeys are difficult when they're not going as planned in anybody's case. For me, the, the layer of sort of feeling like I had some expertise in this area actually made it harder because I thought I should be able to fix it. I thought I should be able to figure out what's going on and remedy it so that I could get what I wanted. And, uh, and it really, there was a real sort of identity crisis around it. Like, can I reveal this to people? Cause it makes me seem like I may not know what I'm doing or that what the kind of medicine I do is ineffective. Um, I had a hard time sort of reconciling like all the should of it, like this should be easier. I was young. I was only, well, you know, relatively young, 33 when I started trying to get pregnant. And uh, from the people that I worked with, that was on the younger end of the spectrum, for sure. I didn't think there would be an issue. So the amount of, of knowledge I had and reading I could do and research I could do, almost, yeah, it made it made it feel like I should be able to do more or I should be doing more or that in some way it should be fixable and I couldn't figure it out. Um, so there was, yeah, a real loss of that self-confidence with that.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And I think it's not limited to practitioners and doctors who have knowledge. I think that there's a tendency, at least in my patient population that I see in my clinic uh, face to face, I find that a lot of times people come in and they're doing all of the things and they have so much knowledge. um, They've done so much research. They know all of the, I'm making quote fingers, right things to do. (laughs) And so it's really frustrating to yeah. not be able to achieve that goal when you know so much about it you know, even as a, a layperson, as a non-practitioner you can still gain a lot of knowledge these days with access to the internet and being able to talk to other people and so I think it's really frustrating when we're used to being highly goal-oriented you know I I have this goal and I work really hard and then I achieve my goal and it's just not always the case when it comes to this stuff and that's really hard yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that was a definite. So I was raised um, in Alberta, which is a very kind of gung-ho place in general um, by entrepreneurs who were kind of like, if you can dream it up, you can probably make it happen. And they did, they, they made a lot of things happen. And uh, so the, my fertility challenges was the first time that I had really come up against anything in my life where working harder at it, didn't get me the result I wanted and that was one of the most difficult things to come to terms with was like okay I mean when I when I was going through fertility challenges I was seeing a bunch of different practitioners because I knew that these kinds of therapies are very supportive to my body to be able to um, bring it sort of into balance and into alignment so that it could do what I wanted it to do. So I was every practitioner that I went to was kind of like hesitant with me and saying like are you sure you really have space in your life right now for this? Do you have the energy for this? And I was like of course I do, you know, like yes, we have a young child at home. Yes, I am running a practice. But like other people do it. Like I should be able to do this and it's um like yes of course I can do it. like I can do any kind of thing and so it was a real um a real hard limit that felt like my body drew or it was like actually no I can't handle more I can't I can't do more I'm doing enough and uh, I had never come up against anything like that before, so it, was, it kind of sent me reeling. I was like, well, "I, I don't understand." Like, life is limitless, and opportunities are endless, and like all of that, those ideas that I've been told for my whole life, I came up against. a like, "Nope." I was like, "What? I don't understand." <laughs> so, um, yeah, that that struggle was was really challenging.
0: Was there a moment? in the journey that you kind of reconciled all of that, or was that more something that you realized in hindsight and looked at?
1: Yeah. um, My journey um, had a bit of an abrupt ending. So um, my partner is a woman and she had our first baby Um, and she's, Older than me, and so the idea was that I would have our second baby. Um, But she had a very easy time getting pregnant the first time, and uh, so I had tried for about a year and a half doing various things. um, And she was coming to me saying, "Like, I'm probably going to go through menopause soon, so." if we really want to have another baby and this is what we want for our family, maybe I should try again. And it was, it was the most supportive thing. Um, and really trying to come to terms with like, this isn't really working for me. Um, maybe it would have, if I had tried longer, or tried different things. Um, but there was this other option. And so I didn't have to decide that my fertility journey was over she tried again and got pregnant, and that was kind of it. Like we were only having two kids, and um, and so I didn't, I didn't have to choose to stop trying, which I think is very um, difficult for people. I think I've lost track of your question a little bit, um, and I think that. So no, I didn't come to terms with the limit of not getting pregnant until after, until um, probably took a couple of years after our daughter was born. I was home with her and uh, it was just really, yeah, like my whole system really took a break. Like I was quite depressed. I was not very functional and like everything just kind of shut down. So I could kind of process what had happened. It felt like, and, in that time I found uh, the work of Stephen Jenkinson around grief and uh, that really helped me reframe what I was going through. And, you know, he would ask questions like, what is supposed to, and what is, you know, what is, there is no inevitable outcome in life. Like there's just what happens and grief is kind of, something that you bring with you for the rest of your life. And for, you know, like this thing that, this thing that occurred in my life will be with me for the rest of my life. And so it's a matter of living with it and allowing it some breathing room rather than pushing it away. And that was really um, helpful in so many different aspects of my life, but for sure, just kind of, as I came to term with like, okay, this is, this is not, can happen, and uh, that there could be some yeah either resolution or sort of letting go of that idea
0: that makes sense I think that um, that's a really important thing to consider that grieving process that has to happen, I think with each stage of fertility. I talk about this with patients and clients all the time that there's almost a death every time you proceed to the next stage of fertility treatment. So first you have to grieve not being able to do it on the first month. And then you grieve, um, you know, maybe having to go to the doctor and not being able to do it on your own. And then you grieve, you know, not being able to do it, quote, naturally. And then you grieve, um, you know, having to, Use IVF, and then there's the next stage, and the next stage, and the next stage. But I think that what isn't talked about as much, um, at least in our modern medical model, is that there's a lot of processing that has to go on after you know any of these uh, stages of grief that come through. And I don't think that we offer a lot of tools uh, to people that need to move through that. But I do see a really beautiful opportunity for, chi- for Chinese medicine to help people when they're going through that grieving process. So I'm wondering if you'd like to speak a little bit about that and how that comes through for you clinically.
1: Yeah, I mean, the not being able to get pregnant for me, I found that what I had gone through made it easier for me to help people who experience pregnancy losses. That was where I noticed it the most um, and not, and I think the way that we hold space for people. So we create these beautiful environments and we put nice smells and nice sounds and we put ourselves and sort of, um, out there into the space and make it a healing space. Um, and then, we bring ourselves to the moment of interaction with the client and we listen and we care. Um, And in those moments, if we can, if we've had these kinds of experiences that have shown us that everything doesn't always work out, then we can be with them in a different way and not offer reassurance and not offer hope for next time, but really just be in the moment and allow the things that are happening in that moment to happen and not to push them away or put a lid on them or, and I find that thinking about in terms of Chinese medicine, that helps energy flow, right? Every time that we try to like push an emotion away, it's got to go somewhere. And so we tuck it away into these little parts of our bodies and we carry that with us. And that stagnates our energy over time. It causes accumulations and gets things stuck up. And so, the more that we can allow the experience to move through us and flow, um, and as a practitioner facilitate that process for people and encourage it and normalize it and um, make it make it a, a integral part of the process. This is important. This isn't just like you know, if you have an idle evening and you've got some time, you should maybe process. Like, this is... this is, Allow space for this, I guess. And I often will say that to people. Um, they email me about losses. Like, give this some time. Needs more tent right now. And then you can, you know, make plans for next. But, but really give it an opportunity to express itself. Um, so... I've seen, I've had people come back to me. It's usually not in the moment because it's a hard moment. Um, but later on, they come back and just really be like, that made such a huge difference for me in that time to, to have somebody say, you need to go through this. Um, and and it's it's got its own gifts with it. It's got its own opportunity for opening, opportunity for unraveling and, um, maybe there's something to that that's healing.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think about the fertility clinic experience where, you know, every unsuccessful cycle can feel like a loss and every unsuccessful cycle can feel like, um, you know, something that grief can come up through that. But I think that with the way that, our medicine, our fertility, our, our modern fertility medicine works is that it's often, okay. the nurse calls you and you're not pregnant. And oh, by the way, 30 seconds later, do you want to go ahead with another cycle right away? And do you think you might want to transfer two embryos this time? And it's, there's just no space for giving pause. It's just, yep, got to get on to the next thing. and got to get you on the schedule and you call on your day one. And there's just no, there's no holding space in that context. So yeah. do you have any advice for people who are using that model, who are maybe wanting to create a little bit more space? Do you have any advice or resources or anything like that for them?
1: I think uh, maybe the just recognizing what's happening and sort of being able to say, okay, this is their approach. Um, so either, you know, finding somebody else like, you and I who have a different approach um, who you can be with or your partner or somebody who you can be with and really kind of work through and give some time and space to what it feels like to not be pregnant that cycle and how devastating it is. And I see a lot of people go to um, like chat boards and things like that and, and get support from other people who are going through similar experiences um, and that can be a really useful kind of support. Um, I think it's wise to use chat rooms um, judiciously and it can sometimes devolve into sort of comparing how difficult um, each other's journeys are. And um, But if it's a supportive space for you, you know, getting some support there can be really great. And you can make plans and hold space for what's not happening at the same time. So you can, you know, work with them and say, okay, yes, next cycle, I would like to do this differently, or maybe I need a day or two to think about this, but I will plan to do something next cycle. Um, And just know that you can advocate for yourself with the fertility clinic and with um, what they have to offer, um, that there's some space for, for you to take time and so say, I just need a day or two to um, figure out what I'd like to do next, or if anything at all. Um, and just know that you can't expect that kind of support and space there. Um, and so to look for it or make space for yourself in other ways. Rituals I find are really, really helpful for these kinds of losses. So whether it's you know, just taking a few minutes, lighting a candle, or I found music really helpful when I was going through it, just to usually singing actually kind of helped start to move that energy in my chest. Um, so I would get in my car and drive and sing. <laughs> Those would be my bits of advice, I guess.
0: That's perfect. So you talked a little bit earlier, you mentioned gifts that come through the journey. And I know that, you know, some are obvious and some are less obvious and some are welcome and some are less welcome. So were there any unwelcome gifts that came from your fertility journey that you want to share? I think, I mean, for sure
1: that the feeling a little bit more capable in helping other people through their losses was one that I didn't expect. And just being able to show up in my Sort of sense of failure was like to be able to not have a positive, you know, positive outcome and not be able to get pregnant myself, but still to be able to show up for people. And um, in my imperfection was a real learning for me that I did not want, but that has benefited them, I think, and certainly myself as a practitioner. It's enriched my work for sure. Um, And then on a more personal level, I was thinking about I've ever since I was young, um, I've struggled with and this is a very common story for women in our culture. I've struggled with my body and my body image and getting my body to look a certain way or behave a certain way or smell a certain way. Like We try to control so much about our bodies and this experience after some time has passed has really brought me to a more tender uh, relationship with my body and a lot more compassion and uh, has actually made me more compassionate with other folks Um, and less judgment for myself, less judgment for other people and just really recognizing that we're all in progress. We're all, you know, evolving and there's no, uh, there's no finish, you know, it just,
0: Yeah. Yeah. Health in general, regardless of what your Achilles heel is, so to speak, for some people, it's fertility challenges. And for others, it's other health challenges that they go through. But uh, as we go through our lives, it's not about reaching this holy grail of perfection. There is no such thing as perfection when it comes to health, because that would equal stasis, it would mean that you're staying the same and not changing. So, I think that on my very best days, I can appreciate that it's a journey and it's it's always interesting and we always have opportunities for growth through looking at our bodies and the way they change. And that there's always something to work on and there's always something to um, improve upon and and get better at um, or just to study it and look at it and kind of wonder about know why that's coming up because you kind of solve one thing and then another thing comes up and then you work on that and then another thing comes up and then you work on that and that's why I think Chinese medicine is so interesting and so beautiful because we can look at these patterns and actually Put almost a, a diagnostic quality to them. You can kind of almost look at how things evolve in the body and you can explain them with Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. It's not just this random group of symptoms and happenings that keep coming up throughout our lives. It's like, okay, yeah, well, this happens and then this next thing happens and this next thing happens. And Chinese medicine says, oh, well, yeah, obviously that's what's mm-hmm. going to happen.
1: That was inevitable. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so, in general, Um, you know, as a practitioner with a ton of experience, what what do you feel is the role of Chinese medicine and fertility treatment specifically? For people who are maybe new to Chinese medicine, what would you say the role is for people? Well, you kind of
1: touched on it a little bit earlier when you um, even just describing the different spaces where the different Um, types of medicine happen and the kinds of spaces that we endeavor to create as practitioners and the kind of spaces. I think we were talking about injections, uh, the kind of spaces that sort of medical things happen in and what they feel like um, in our bodies. So I think it's um, a little bit more along those lines. Uh, I think Chinese medicine's role is is to see somebody in their wholeness and to see how the blood and the fluids and the energy are moving about their physiology and why and just to be curious about why the symptom of not getting pregnant when all of the all of the things seem to be in place for doing so um, why is that showing up why is this symptom here and what does it Looking at the, the system, this is what we do with diagnosis in Chinese medicine, we look at the, the entirety of their picture, not just in their physiology, but also in their environment and what's around them and what's influencing them and how that's all expressing itself in their physiology. And then we, we come alongside them and say, these are the ways that we can help shift how your system is working. So that is natural, healthy expression can be expressed. And I always tell people when they first come to see like worst case scenario, you'll feel way better when, you know, when we finish working together for however long that is. Um, there, there will be happy side effects to everything that we're doing here, whether it's the acupuncture or the herbal treatment or the cupping or the, um, just the experience of being together, all of that's going to have a good, a good outcome. And uh, and so when we think about using it with assisted reproductive technologies, um, partly we're bringing that sort of space for them, but also we can begin and studying to be a member of the of the American Board of Reprodu- Oriental Reproductive Medicine um, helped me to understand the things and the therapies that assistive reproductive technologies are offering in terms of Chinese medicine, like what is the energetic of this type of medication and how is that in different kinds of people? Um, how is that going to affect them and how can I mitigate the side effects? So I have had a number of clients who, because of sort of how their body expresses itself felt amazing when they were on estrogen. They just like, everything worked way better and they felt so good. Um, and for others, it's absolutely rife with horrible side effects and disruptive everything and mood and sleep and everything's not right. And so it's the same medication that has this particular energetic to it. But when we add it to different people, and the way that their bodies work, working, they can either throw them way off balance or sort of bring them more back into balance. And understanding how those medicines work um, in terms of how we see things in Chinese medicine, we can really help to offset sort of some of the negative side effects or the challenges that will come up in the process of using assisted reproductive technologies where we can help them to have a better quality of the experience and sort of go through it with a little bit more ease, a little bit more support. And maybe that can increase sort of their opportunities or their willingness to continue trying different methods. So sometimes it takes a while for people who are going through reproductive treatment to find sort of the right thing that's going to help them. And this is um, true for Chinese medicine and true for allopathic medicine um, but to be able to sort of sustain the journey and and have it a little bit easier on your relationships a little bit easier on your body and a little bit easier on your emotional life I think is a huge um, huge kind of support to add into the fertility journey
0: whether it's no matter how you're trying that's great Um I love the way you said all that. Thank you. (laughs) I feel like those are all the thoughts that are in my head too. And you just put it all so beautifully, (laughs) but I do, I do want to back up for a second because you talked about that first appointment with a patient or potential patient. And you talked about how, you know, even if we stop work together, or no matter when we stop work together, at the very least, you're going to feel better. At the very least, you can expect for things to improve in that way. Um, And so I think it brings up an interesting question, because in those initial appointments, I often get, well, what are your success rates? And yeah. what, is, what are the success rates of acupuncture? Um, you know, like people want to know percentages and numbers and studies and things like that. And I think it's really challenging to answer those questions, first of all, because there are a lot of different reasons why people seek fertility treatment, a lot of different reasons. It could be anything from a cancer diagnosis to unexplained infertility to male factor to you know a situation like yours where there are two uteruses and and no sperm and so you need to seek treatment for that reason. So I'm interested in how you answer that question <laughs> when when people come to see you because I think that um you know it's it's not just about the numbers and the statistics it's also about holding space for what a good outcome can look like because you're an example of somebody who I mean you have two wonderful beautiful healthy children and you have this wonderful family and to me as an outsider that seems like a very good outcome um but it's interesting that it would have changed for you over time and evolved for you over time so as somebody who's directly experienced that evolution what do you say to people who ask well what are this what are my what are my percentage chances of of getting pregnant with acupuncture
1: yeah it's uh that's changed over time for sure Um, I used to, as a younger practitioner, pull out the research and be like, well, you know, this is how much this kind of therapy has changed people's, um, in what percentage of the circumstances it's changed their outcome. And I think I've stopped doing that and really um, kind of refuse to answer the question sometimes and just say like, there's no way for me to compare what's happening for you to what's happening for anybody else. And that's true. And it's not just kind of a cop-out, it's really true. And it's kind of what I was describing before. Like we look at somebody's physiology and their own quirks. And then we look at their life and their environment and their history and what kind of impact that's bringing forward and then What kind of stresses are they experiencing? What kind of food are they experiencing? What kind of living environment? What kind of support do they have? What is their quotient of love relationship? Like all of that plays into what's happening in their physiology. So there's no way for me to say, well, everybody who I've treated with PCOS took six months, but eventually got pregnant. It's just not true. And even the people who come with PCOS are all, Different. Like each, they could have PCOS for a number of different reasons and they show up really differently. And we call it patterns in Chinese medicine, where we look at somebody's physiology and we say, hmm, your system tends to be out of balance in this particular way, or these two organs seem to be kind of a little off. And so we're going to work to bring those back into alignment. And it's not, um, and so it's expressing itself in. The fertility challenges in. that's the symptom, right? The cysts on the ovaries or the um, irregular menstruation or the lack of ovulation or whatever's happening that's been diagnosed as PCOS. Um, if I see five different people with PCOS, I'm going to see five different patterns completely and I would treat all of those people really differently. And so it makes no sense then to say, well, you know, you work with me for six months and we'll see this result. Like it just um yeah, that's how I answer that question, mostly by refusing to answer it. And I think um, what, pe- and I, I've really spent some time thinking over the years, like, what are people actually asking me when they ask me that? Because they don't actually want to hear more stats. I get so many complaints from people about the statistics that they told from their physician, which are often sort of more of the negative side of things. Um but I they they don't actually want to hear what percentage of people this works for. What they want to know is do you know what you're doing and can you help me? And so I tend to answer that question more, like this is what I see in you. This is what will make sense that if we try this way, likely this is the outcome we'll see. And that I find answers that question better than you know, whatever. I mean, there's some really great research happening and I think it's really important. And there's more and more research about acupuncture and fertility coming out all the time. And one of the ways I stay abreast of that is by being a fellow of the, the American Board of Oriental Reproductive Medicine because that's sort of the interface where the research and the, the expression of that is happening. So, it's not that there's no research and we don't have anything to back up what we're doing, but in individual situations, it doesn't, it's their situation. It's not, you know, a range of situations.
0: Yeah. And it's incredibly difficult to study that according to the gold standard of research, double blind, mm-hmm. placebo controlled research study, because like you said, there are so many different expressions of physiology and so many different expressions of pathophysiology and the diagnosis is very different. And, and again, it's, it's hard to know what a good outcome is anyway. I mean, does it stop when egg meets sperm? I don't think so. Does it stop with getting pregnant? No, absolutely not. You have to, you know, make it through till the end. And then, you know, what happens after you have that baby? Are you healthy as a parent? Um, Are you able to be there for your child to the best of your ability? Are you able to live your life in a way that can support that child and where you feel good and you feel content? Um, And, you know, research, a lot of it just stops at, well, did they get pregnant? Are they still pregnant after a certain amount of time? Some of the research looks at live births. I think we're seeing that more and more, but uh, it's limited for sure. So I like your explanation. That's, that's good. (laughs) Yeah, I think,
1: uh, yeah, I just, you know, I have so much compassion for people who are going through fertility challenges and trying to figure out what to do, trying to figure out what to do about it and who are the experts to go to and who's going to be able to help them and, what's going to work for them and, and uh, having to do all that in the context of a life that's already full. And, you know, often there's a relationship, although not always, um, there's always, almost always work to contend with and, you know, extended family, like life is already happening. And then this big challenge comes and I just, it's really, really difficult. And it hits people in a different way than, you know, say they wanted to become a, tennis player, and they just, you know, ended up really sucking at tennis, and there was nothing they could do about it, this hits you in a really different way, almost fundamentally, not being able to get pregnant when you'd like to be, like a real visceral kind of core level, I want to say kind of pain, almost, like it's it hits you in a very different way than other other challenges in life for sure. And maybe most medical challenges feel this way, but yeah, certainly.
0: So if there was, and I know that you're so full of advice um, and so full of support and you have so much wisdom to share, but if you had to distill it down to one thought or one piece of advice that you might like to share with people who are on this journey um, maybe just at the beginning or maybe at a stage where they they feel like they've tried everything. Um, do you have anything that you'd like to tell those people? When you come up against something that is
1: challenging, like fertility challenges or what's happening each month or what's happening on the ovulation stick that morning or whatever. Um, big feelings that come along with that, there's an opportunity right in that moment to shift how you're feeling and use the energy, the big feelings and the big emotions and invest them in the outcome you'd like to have. Not that um, that's the only possible good outcome, but in that moment where you see you're not ovulating again that day, use those big feelings as a reassurance that this is really important to you and that you are doing the things um, to move you along the journey and that um, you can use the big feelings as a sort of a, a reassurance or kind of recommitment to like, this is really important to me and I really would like to see this happen as opposed to thinking about it as like, oh, it's just not happening and feeding that aspect of things, but giving that opportunity to sort of shift it and say like, wow, these feelings are so huge. I really, really want this um, and allowing it to kind of feed and move you forward might be a useful tidbit.
0: Thank you. That was wonderful. So if anybody wants to get in touch with you, I understand that you're not active on social media at the moment, um, (laughs) which is understandable given how intense the world is right now, my goodness. Um, But if people do want to connect with you, they can find you on your website, www. I don't know why anybody says www.anymore, TanyaSmith.com. And uh, so you can reach out to Tanya that way. And I want to thank you for this conversation today. It's always so lovely to talk to you. And I'll look forward to having you back again sometime. Uh, Thank you so much. I really appreciate
1: the opportunity.
0: Thanks, Tanya. I loved that conversation with Tanya. And I hope that you did too. I'm going to be continuing the conversation over in the Fertility Academy Community Facebook group. If you'd like to join us, you can find the link in the show notes. That's it for me today. I'll be back next Wednesday with another episode. Until then, take care. Thank you for joining us on Fertility Academy. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you loved our content today, please be sure to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with someone who you think might find it helpful. Don't forget to subscribe to be the first to be notified of new episodes. A new one comes out every Wednesday. To keep in touch with us and to continue the conversation, you can find us over on Instagram at Fertility Academy or join us on our private Facebook group, The Fertility Academy Community. Both are linked in the show notes today. Until next time, have a great week.